podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome back to Hell on Hills podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Amanda. And hello. Hi. Hi. Howdy. How's it going? going? Whoa. No, stop that. Uh uh Too far. You guys heard the ice at that first, right? Okay, yeah, sure. (laughs) And if you didn't hear it, I'll make sure in the editing you did hear it that way. (laughs) Just making sure we all know. Um, anyways, how are you? Um living my best life question mark? Um, Why question mark? (laughs) Why question mark? So I got stuck on the toilet yesterday. Okay. Uh, apparently, uh, during this pregnancy, my like sciatic nerve is just going absolutely out of control, which kind of makes sense because I never got this big with Annie, and my belly is just out of control. So it's been bothering me, and I've been doing like stretches and sleeping on a heating pad, which kind of helps, but not really. But yeah, I I sat down on the toilet yesterday and then I cried because I couldn't get back up. And I almost, I was this close to calling James and I didn't want to because I didn't want to wake him up. And then he got upset because I did not call him and I kind of just like, I don't even remember how I ended up getting up, but it was not easy. Kind of feels like a James problem. (laughs) Like, he made me promise him. He's like, next time, just call me. I'm like, okay. Did you, did you do crossies? Like, okay, I'll call you next time. No, I didn't do any crossies because he gets upset when I ignore pain because apparently you're not supposed to do that. And I'm really good at doing that. Says who? Uh, it says my husband. Is, Is that he bad? a doctor? Um, no. Otherwise, he would have already cut the skin tag off of my back. Okay, so I'm going to say he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, okay. I yeah. like that. Okay, yeah. there you go. <laughs> but I'm, like, I have aches and pains every day because of the ulcerative colitis. It just, like, makes random joints hurt for no reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm used to ignoring pain. And he's like, no, you, you got to tell me. I'm like, okay. And it wasn't the fact that it hurt. It was like, it was like my leg wouldn't work. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, like, it would would, not respond to your brain's command to move. You could be, like, screaming, move at it, and it wasn't going to move. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it did hurt. Don't get me wrong. But, like, trying to power through it, it's like my leg was just like, what are you doing? We're just hanging out. Yeah, we're taking a break. Sorry. Yeah, we're just going to sit here for 20 minutes until you just... (laughs) I don't remember how I Figure it out, I guess. So, yeah, that's fun. That was new. Okay. That sounds like a joy. Yeah, I got a belt today, so we're going to see if that helps. Apparently those help. Ma- oh, okay. Maternity belts? Yeah. I don't know. They're supposed to lift the belly a little bit? Yep. I got one at Walmart. I'm not wearing it yet because... You're cause sitting. Uh, yeah. You're I am fine. who I am. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I'm, and I'm sitting in a rolling chair, too. So if I get stuck, it's fine. You can just roll yourself wherever you need to. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly, I should have thought of this beforehand. I mean, that might make it a little difficult because you were stuck on the ba- in the bathroom, so. Uh, yeah, I'll still have to move from one place to the next. But... Yeah, but maybe you need just, like, the assistant bar, assistance bar to just move you from one place to the other. I can probably use my dog. 
I don't, I wouldn't trust him with that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. He's too anxious. He would be like, no, what's happening? Let me go get dad. He would be like, why are you putting so much pressure on me, lady? (laughs) Get away. So what about you? I'm doing okay. I'm trying to think about what happened this week. Monday work, Tuesday work, Wednesday work, Thursday work, Friday work. Okay. What did I do yesterday? Nothing. I didn't do anything yesterday. Oh, that sounds great. It was quite nice. Um, God, being recording this early is throwing me off, too. It's, it kind of sucks. <laughs> it's, it really, like, it's, and it's not even early. It's 11 o'clock for me. So it's, it's 10 o'clock for you. Yeah. And, well, actually, we're usually recording at, like, 7.30 at night. Yeah, we're normally on at seven at night your time, but, but then talking. we bullshit for at least yeah. half an hour. We did mm-hmm. that today too. Yeah. So it's it's, yeah. it's early, and I still it's, have coffee. It's my fault. I'll I'll accept it. It's my fault. Actually, no. You know what? We were supposed to record last night, and I wasn't ready. Yeah. So it's your mm-hmm. fault. But in my defense, I was stuck on the toilet for some of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for not trying to record from the toilet. I appreciate that. Uh, no, this is, we have a Patreon, not an OnlyFans. So yes, yeah, I don't think accurate. that's, I don't think that's the right um, website for that kind of nope. content. Nope. Let's not do that. That'd be wonderful. Hard pass. Um, what? I feel like I was going to tell you something. That, oh, my father. I just want to mm-hmm. point out, I'm pretty sure he listens for my fuck ups, not yours. Because okay, that makes me feel better. The episode that was just released mm-hmm. was the Koisk. Ah, the kiosk. Yes. The Koisk, yeah. Um, I like how I com- I'm actively fixing the word and you are actively <laughs> using the wrong one. So that we're Probably. clear on what I'm talking about here. Yes. If I'm actually <laughs> referencing a kiosk, I'm going to say kiosk. <laughs> but when I'm speaking to you, it's going to be a Koisk. <laughs> I love it. Okay. My point being is my dad called and said something to me about something for that episode and I just ignored him. Um, and then I called him back and was like, hold on, you didn't say anything about Amanda saying Koisk. And he's like, What are you talking about? And I'm like, it's <laughs> literally the name of the episode. <laughs> the Koisk conundrum. The Koisk conundrum. And you guys will notice it is spelled Koisk. Like, if you guys did not notice, and I know we're way behind. I know this isn't coming out until November. And it's October. What, that came out last Sunday? So that was early October. I don't give a shit. My point is, is that my dad (laughs) makes sure to just point out my flaws. And he's not even listening for your very obvious Koisk. Yeah, because we really did go hard on that during that episode. I remember because Uh I lost sleep over it. Because just the thought that my entire life I've been saying this word incorrectly and nobody <laughs> ever said anything. I did. Jackasses. I did. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a true <laughs> friend, okay? I'm like, you're an idiot. Why are you saying Koisk? What is happening? <laughs> and at first, I really wanted to be like, oh, maybe it's her pregnancy brain. But then the fact that you were like, Koisk. Like, just so matter of fact. I'm like, this has been happening her entire life. Entire like, this is- life, yeah. It I was can't confidently even confidently <laughs> It was confidently coisk. <laughs> and then you have James responding to you via text going kiosk. <laughs> that son of a bitch. Maybe I've never said it to him. I don't know. 
I mean, to be fair, it's not a word I use often, but I know I have used that word incorrectly. And I know people have looked at you like, what the fuck is she talking about? Yeah, maybe it was the confidence. <laughs> they were like, I'll just Google what a Koisk is later. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, I think she meant kiosk that idiot. <laughs> Too late now. She, yeah, that idiot did in fact mean kiosk. <laughs> yeah. And here I, this is why we're platonic soulmates, because I'm like, excuse you? A what? <laughs> Please you say that me, one more time. You keep me grounded. You keep me intelligent. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I need all the help I can get. I wouldn't say I keep you intelligent. That's a little bit of a stretch, you know? Because that would mean I have to be intelligent. Yeah, but I don't watch hockey either. So that was looked right past me. Was that what your dad was yeah, messing the, with you about? The Sabres. I, I thought we were talking about hummus. I, I You know what? Sabres, Sabra, I don't care. Yeah. Food is food for me. If I mispronounce it, it's fine. Thinking about a hummus dip. Do I like hummus? No, I don't. But do I know Sabra? Yes, I do. Well, I like hummus, so. Uh, the <laughs> texture thing for me. Ugh. Oh, I get that. Yeah. That's why I don't Any- like peeps. They're evil. Gross. Peeps are just gross. Peeps are so gross. I don't understand peeps. I don't, I don't either. People are like, oh, they're great. No, they're not. No. No. You want to know what I found out was really great? I shouldn't say found out. I remembered was really great the other day. Pudding. Pudding? Like uh-huh. the snack packs? Yeah. Man, snack packs go so hard and I don't know. Wh- I don't know if it's like a nostalgia thing or what. I don't know. We So Cody likes the snack packs for his lunches for like a snack or something. And that's mm-hmm. fine. I don't care. So I bought like a Sam's Club size thing of snack packs and he hasn't been eating them. Okay, so I'm rude. like, what was the point of me even buying this? Like, so eat- now you have to eat them. Yeah. Well, I also my stomach was hurting me at one point this week, um, and so I was like, I don't want to eat something solid. I feel like I'll throw it up. But like, mm-hmm. is there something I could down really quick just to settle my stomach? Pudding, chocolate pudding. I don't know why they're so good, but they are. When I make cakes, I put snack packs uh-huh. the, for like a chocolate pudding. I put those in between the layers because. What other chocolate pudding are you going to get? Make so, one? No, it's not the I same. Just, I just put the snack pack in the batter. I'll put it between the layers. It helps keep uh-uh. it moist. No, I just put it in the batter oh. to make it delicious. You want to know what else I do now that we're talking about cakes? I have a cake that I make that is just your box cake, but it's it has to be lemon, people. If you don't buy the lemon cake, it's not going to work. Though other people are going to say use other flavors. I disagree. It's just the lemon box cake and then Sprite. Ooh, like that that's sounds all. really good. Mix it up, bake it up, put some whipped cream with some lemon pudding. Lemon pudding. Oh, um, okay. Snack packs, they make those. Mix those two together and put that as a topping and maybe put some strawberries on top. Delicious. So you still have to add eggs and stuff, though. Nope. What? Just the powder and the Sprite? Uh-huh. Oh, I got to try this. Okay. you You should. It's delicious. Yeah, I'm not. And okay, I don't mean that as in like, I got to try this. This can't work. I mean, that as like, I got to try this. This sounds so incredibly easy. It is. I'm pretty sure they're just called soda cakes. You can do it like people do it with all sorts of things. So like, look, I'll just pull this up a recipe. It is a creamsicle cake. I guess I can share. I'm not going to share my screen. You're screwed. Sorry. You've got a creamsicle cake. That is like a vanilla pudding or a vanilla cake mix with like a sun kiss. Ooh, 
I don't or, really like creamsicle, but I would I would bake that. I would try that. Or there's strawberry shortcake with strawberry cake mix and root beer. Oh, that's very cherry chip cake, which is that looks like a carrot cake. I can't really see what it's saying because I zoomed in like a, in a weird way. Hold on. Let me just go like this. Okay, hold on. You said strawberry shortcake was what? Strawberry cake mix with like a root beer. Just like a can. Why root beer? That doesn't. I, no idea. That sounds but, interesting. I would try that one because I do doubt it. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that one. They also have. They have a ton. There's like a chocolate cake mixed with Diet Coke. Chocolate. Chocolate root beer flow is a super moist chocolate cake with Barks root beer. Oh, sold. So. What I'm saying is you have tons of options. And they're just, they're soda cakes. I did not invent this. I'm just telling you guys about it. Um, but they're delicious. I'm going to try that. Probably multiple of them. You probably should. They're really It sounds good. really easy and it sounds really cheap. And I'm down for both. It's the fact that it's just two ingredients. You j- well, yeah. here's the other part is if you have to use like a can. I mm-hmm. guess that's not true. I've used like a bottle, just like a. 20 ounce. What, 20 ounce, whatever it is. Um, and just poured what I needed in there mm-hmm. because I didn't want to buy a whole case of Sprite at the time. Yeah. If I buy a whole case of soda, I'm going to drink a whole case of soda. So yeah. it's best to just not buy it. Yeah. Ooh, this one looks good. This one's Dr. Pepper and red velvet. <gasps> Ooh, I love a red velvet. So point is, is if you guys have never done them and you're in a pinch and need something quick and easy to make just do a soda cake you just need the box of cake mix and a soda christmas is coming up bring it to christmas uh, you know what i one year i did create like a basket for my sister-in-laws and they had the recipe for a dump cake like that or a soda cake like that and i just put the ingredients they needed in there they had some other things too but yeah oh that they had, like, great yeah kitchen like i think i got a new kitchen utensils and um, a couple things like that. So there you have it. Now you guys have new recipes. You're welcome. You didn't know this was a cooking podcast. No. So you're welcome. This is an everything podcast. We talk about toilets. We talk about coisks. We talk about soda cakes. We talk about all the things, guys. The sabres. <laughs> we talk about hockey. We talk about hummus. You never know what you're going to get. Never, never. Sometimes, sometimes we actually talk about true crime and paranormal things. Occasionally. Mm, Not all the time, but sometimes. But anyways. um, Oh, that one looks so good. Strawberry cake and cream soda. That one sounds good. Hey, sorry. I'm going to close this so I stop looking at cakes. Anyway, so I closed that page and now I have to look at murder notes. So are you almost ready for a story? Yeah, I think so. Okay, um, before we get into stories, let's just talk about our social medias. We do post all of our pictures on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of them are getting posted. So if you want to see the pictures that we refer to, we don't do a great job referring to them, guys, while we're recording. But if you want to see the pictures that we're reacting to, we do post those. Um, We also, I guess I should tell you what those are. So Facebook, Hell on Heels Podcast, Instagram, Hell on Heels Podcast. I think I said Twitter and I should have said X, but let's just get real. I still hate X so much. Yeah, it's really hard to to get into that habit. And also I too hate it. 
I also think I have like a fear that I'm going into like a naughty website because those are always X's. Right. So why would you name it X? Anyways, that's whatever. Um, point is, is that X is Hell on Hills pod. We also have our Patreon up and going. We've been releasing extended episodes. Uh, sometimes I call my dad and be like, hey, dad, I need your input while we're recording. So those are extended episodes that are posted on Patreon. Um, we also have our link tree up and going. And if you need to find that, you can just Google Hell on Heels link tree. And then our Discord's up. So if you want to bullshit with us, you can do that on Discord. Um, and then you can also email us, hellonheelspodcast at gmail.com. If you guys do enjoy listening, be sure to tell your friends to listen with you as well so that we can always keep growing our listener base. And then I think we're ready for a story. Yeah, I am. Oh, I'm not. I don't know. I'm sorry. Okay, so listen, I kind of fixed my TikTok algorithm Mm -hmm. um, to an extent. I wouldn't say it's fixed because I'm still getting stories like this, but it doesn't involve a child. So, well, thank God for that. Okay. Um. So I'm gonna do a quick trigger warning. This is a pretty brutal case. So I'm sorry taking a book out or a page out of amanda's book it does involve cannibalism to an extent um that was an uncomfortable smile for me it's an uncomfortable smile for me too like this is just it's making me sweat already okay (laughs) okay okay (sighs) have you heard about the kiss of the kiss i'm sorry the case of timothy mclean or vince lee Vince Lee sounds familiar, but I don't I don't think it's because I know him. I think it's because I'm thinking of Bruce Lee. Oh, it's not Bruce Lee. Thank God for that. <sighs> okay, well, let's just jump in. So Timothy Richard McLean Jr., I will refer to him as Tim going forward. He was born on October 3rd, 1985. He grew up in Winnipeg, Canada, and Ellie, Man- Manitoba. So that's the Providence. I believe that's the Providence. I think that's the right word. Look, I'm not from Canada. I'm just assuming Manitoba is the Providence. Um, Province? I don't know. Manitoba Province. Huh, okay. Yeah. I don't know Koisk, but I know Province. Province, done. (laughs) So, he grew up in Winnipeg and Ellie, Manitoba. So, in that Manitoba Province. And what I could see in his upbringing, it was positive. There was nothing that really stood out. He was described as a very warm person. He was very outgoing, constantly making new friends. He was very likable. Like, people just said he was a very kind-hearted person, very warm. Um, Him and his girlfriend in 2008 were expecting a child. From what I could find, this was his first child. And at this time, Tim is working as a carnival barker. Do you know what a carnival barker is? No, but I would love to. I feel like it's somebody that speaks, like yell stuff or. I mean, it's literally like, you know, at carnivals or fairs or stuff, you have someone yelling about the events over here. We have the hairy man and over there we've got the mermaid and all that fun stuff. That's a carnival barker. I love it. Yes. Yes. So he basically was someone that tried to attract people to come in to go to the events. Um, From what I could find, he was doing it specifically for carnivals, because there is just, like, the Barker role that does that for other events. 
But he was just yelling out about events. And I mean, at this time, he's 22 years old. He's having a great time living his life. No harm there. And he is a very outgoing guy. So kind of for me, it felt like, you know what? It feels like a right job for him. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like you would have to be outgoing to do that. I would <laughs> suck at it. I would not be yelling. I'd be like, you want to know about the events? Go look at the freaking board, guys. Yeah. Like, hey, Here's- carnival. That's what we're doing. Right? I'm not yelling. Not to get people's attention. Okay. So he was working out at a carnival in Edmonton. So this is on July 30th, 2008. He was actually returning home from working at this fair or this carnival in Edmonton. He was riding a Greyhound bus home to Winnipeg, where he lived with his girlfriend. Now, I know Greyhound bus routes are going to be different. They're going to be longer. But the car route I found showed that this was a 13-hour drive between Edmonton and Winnipeg. Holy crap. The sources I found cited that the bus ride was 22 hours long. Holy crap. Like, er, I don't know. Yeah, so it's not a short. You're looking at almost a full freaking day. Mm -hmm. But 22 hours long. So it was a really long ride, a really long journey. He sits up in the back. Um, or I'm sorry, he sets up in the back. I don't have my glasses on. Don't judge me. I have to clean up the lens so I can read. He sets up in the back of the bus, kind of by the bathroom. Because, you know, the greyhounds for... Oh, that's a cat in your window. Oh, yeah, that's her perch. She likes it there. It just was a little creepy because all of a sudden it kind of grew and then got darker. I was like, what? Like the other night when her head poked out and she just scared the crap out of me. Yeah, my cat's creepy. I love her. I don't have glasses on, so I can't (laughs) see anything. I'm just like, am I seeing things? I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) Jesus Christ. All right. So where was I? Okay. He sets up in the back near the bathroom. Yep. He sets up near the bathroom. And I mean, they're getting in. If this was a car ride, this was 10 hours into the journey home. But with the bus ride, it's not clear how long this was. But at around 10 hours... Uh, at, at least 10 hours, I would assume, the bus would stop in Erickson, Manitoba. And Erickson, from what I could find, was three hours from Winnipeg. Now, that's okay. a direct car route, not a bus route. So how much longer he had on the bus, I have no clue. This was a scheduled stop, and they stopped there at about 6.55 p.m. for new passengers to board, obviously. And one of those new passengers to board was Vince Lee. He was then, at the time, 40 years old. Vince Lee was born on April 30th, 1968. He was born in Dandong, Dandong, China. Dandong, China. Yes. And in 1992, Lee would graduate from Wuhan Institute of Technology, where he received a bachelor's degree in computing. And Vince Lee, he would live and work in Beijing as a computer software engineer from 1994 to 1998. Okay. So, pretty good job. He's well-educated. I was going to say he's educated. He's established. Mm -hmm. Sounds like, at least. Yeah. Um, But that was until Lee would immigrate to Canada in June of 2001. He would actually become a Canadian citizen in November 2006. So, like, he was established. Okay. In 2004, Vince Lee, he would start just menial jobs at Grant Memorial Church. Now... Keep in mind, at this time, there is still a language barrier. He is native to China. And so he speaks fluent Chinese. He's coming to Canada. I assume they're speaking English based off of the videos I watched. 
Um, so there is a little bit of a language barrier on occasion. But the staff and the congregation at the Grant Memorial Church were all pretty patient. So it was a pretty good fit. And he was working there just so that he could support his wife, Anna. He was doing what he could. He would, while working there, he would convert to Christianity. And he would be baptized during his time working at the Grant Memorial Church. When he converted to be baptized, he claimed that at this time he began hearing, quote unquote, the voice of God speaking to him. Um, okay, this can go one of two ways. And I feel like it's normally not the good way. Nope, not the good way. And so he starts hearing the voice, what he calls the voice of God. And he would also say that this voice called him, called Vince Lee, the third story of the Bible and the second coming of Jesus. And basically, this voice would tell him that Vince Lee was destined to save people from an imminent alien invasion. Okay, so we're, we're taking that road. Yeah, we're taking that road. Now, according to Vince Lee, the voice would regularly command that he travel the country on foot or by bus. And I'm sorry, traveling Canada on foot, hard pass out of your mind no that that alone that's not god because god would not do that to somebody first of all that's just rude if god were to be like hey bryce go walk on foot through the country i'd be like let me go get on meds to stop this voice it's not happening this is the last voice i want to hear is the one telling me to do physical activity want me to walk somewhere Mm. i'll walk around the block with the dogs but across the country that's what planes are for sorry lost your mind yeah absolutely out of your mind For Vince Lee, though, these were very real thoughts for him, and he would follow the commands of the voice. So he would frequently disappear from his home for days on end, according to his wife, Anna. So at this church, he would actually work there for a total of six months. He would quit in the spring of 2005, and he would take a job as a forklift operator in the summer of that same year. Um, And his wife at the time is also working as a waitress in the area. So they're likely not in the best financial spot. But it doesn't appear that they're in the absolute worst spot. And throughout all this time, he's still hearing voices. He very much believes that these aliens are going to come invade and he's going to be the one to save everyone. And due to these delusions, he would actually begin carrying a buck knife with him everywhere for his own protection because he believed he needed it. Now, the the, uh, pastor, I don't know if that's the correct word, but the person that hired him at Grant Memorial Church actually would say, you know what? He was a really good worker. He was happy to work. Like he never showed any issues, like nothing. He just, he was there, you know? Yeah. In 2005, he would be found wandering a highway headed back to Winnipeg. And at this time he would tell the police that he was following the son at the command of God. And Because of this, he would end up being examined at William Osler Health Center for this incident. The medical documentation or the official documentation does not show any mental illness at that time. It doesn't even show that they treated him for anything like mental illness, but it looks like they treated physical. Mm -hmm. So it is reported in local newspapers that at that time, Vince Lee was diagnosed with schizophrenia and he would just refuse medication. Okay. So it's not it's good clear. they got him help, at least. They didn't just, you know, like, cart him off to jail. 
Well, I mean, I don't think he was doing anything wrong. Like, mm-hmm. he was just walking around. And I, think I just see, was- like, I know a lot of times that also can go either way. And I'm glad it, it went the way that it did, I guess. Well. I wish he would have gotten accepted help. Um, well, we'll talk. We'll talk. Uh, so, in 2006... Vince Lee, he would pretty abruptly just move to Edmonton. Alone? So abruptly, he just left his wife, Anna, in Winnipeg. <gasps> Dick! Just, he up and left. He's like, bye. She does later join him. Though at some point, they would be separated, but it's not clear what the timeline on that was. So we know he left, moved to Edmonton. Anna would eventually follow from the reports I found, and then they would separate. Gee, now, I wonder why. Now, during the time that he's living in Edmonton, he has a multitude of jobs. And I just want to make sure everyone remembers, this dude is well-educated. He was working as a software engineer in China. Yeah, I was going to ask why he wasn't working as a software, software engineer in Canada. Um, but I don't I, know if, you know, the differences in countries and where he got his degree has anything to do with that. Well, I also don't know if the language barrier has anything to do with that either. Okay, true. During this time, he is just working a multitude of jobs. He is a janitor, a mechanic. He works at Walmart as a cashier. He works at McDonald's. He works at a newspaper delivery service. Uh, He's working everything. Some of these are overlapping. Some of them he's working two jobs. Some of them he's not. And another one of his boss, this is specifically the newspaper delivery boss, he actually described Vince Lee as very reliable and hardworking. He just was like, he showed no signs of trouble. He He was a great guy. Now, in late June, Vince Lee, he would be fired from his position at Walmart. And this was after some sort of a disagreement with another employee. And it's not clear what that disagreement was. So we know that he was working at the newspaper delivery at the same time as Walmart. And Walmart would fire him. Around this same time, he would actually request time off from the newspaper delivery job. And he would tell his boss he was going to Winnipeg for a job interview. Okay. So the newspaper delivery job was like, yeah, sure, go ahead, go to your interview, no big deal. On July 28, 2008, Vince would board a Greyhound headed for Winnipeg. On July 29th at around 6 p.m., Vince Lee, he would get off the bus in Erickson. So that one's the one that, from what I found, was three hours direct drive from Winnipeg. So he gets off of the bus in Erickson. With him, he had at least three pieces of luggage, and he would leave the bus and spend the night on a bench next to a grocery store. A witness from the grocery store would report seeing Vince Lee at 3 a.m. on July 30th, you know, first thing in the morning, middle of the night. He was sitting, quote-unquote, bolt upright with his eyes wide open, just sitting there staring at the sky for hours. Nope. That is a person I am not conversing with. I'm not going near them, so sorry. Not happening. Mm -mm. Now, the morning of July 30th, he just remained on the bench. He staring at the sky. And he, at one point, he would actually sell his new laptop to a passing 15-year-old boy. And he just sold it to this kid for 60 bucks. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Okay. This does not sound healthy. Nope. Later, Vince Lee, he would board the same bus as Tim McLean in Edmonton. Nope, I'm sorry, in Erickson. So this was, nope. Yes, in Erickson. I might have conflicting statements there. He would board the bus, and I'm fairly certain that was in Edmonton. 
nope, it wasn't Erickson. I just typed the wrong thing. So he would board the bus and he they would board it around 6.55 p.m. Now, when Vince originally boarded the bus, he was sitting near the front and he would move about 30 minutes later. He had gotten off the bus in, I'm pretty sure I have this wrong. So Vince got on the bus in Edmonton. In Erickson, 30 minutes later, he got off to take a smoke break. And then when he got back on, he would have moved to the back of the bus to sit next to Tim McLean. Okay. Tim, he didn't really acknowledge Vince Lee, not that he was rude or anything. I mean, I wouldn't have acknowledged him at all. If anything, I would have put my shit on that seat so no one sat there. Yeah. That's just me. But also, he's hours and hours into this journey. He's tired. He's kind of dozing in and out. Some reports stated that when Vince walked to the back where Tim was, Tim kind of flashed him a smile, gestured for Vince to take a seat next to him, and then just kind of put his head against the window pane and fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Now, Tim, he had his headphones in, so he was in his own world taking his nap. No big deal. After they departed Erickson, Vince Lee, he would suddenly stand up, produce his buck knife, and he would begin stabbing Tim McLean in the neck and chest. Uh, on the middle of the bus? Yes. Um, oh my God. Uh Uh-huh. So after the attack started, the bus driver, he would quickly pull over as the passengers would surge towards the front in just this horrified frenzy. Everyone's trying to get off the bus. Sure. Now the bus driver and all the other passengers on the bus, they quickly exit. And the bus driver and two male passengers do attempt to rescue Tim McLean. Vince Lee, however, would chase them away, slashing his knife at them. They were not harmed. Some state it was like they were also trying to close the bus doors, trying to make sure that Vince stayed where he was. And so he did slash at them, but no one else was harmed. Now, after this, Vince Lee's attack on Tim just continues. Lee would pull Tim McLean to the aisle floor and just continue to repeatedly stab him. And he would eventually decapitate Tim McLean. Oh, my God. While all these other people are just... Standing outside the bus watching. Oh, my God. That is horrific. And to make it worse, Vince would then display Tim's severed head to the witnesses that were on the outside of the bus. Bro, what are you doing? Okay, okay, okay. I'm trying to remember here. He's not mentally healthy. He didn't stop there. Oh, God. He would then begin to sever other parts of tim mclean and he would also eat some of tim's flesh okay how long has anyone called the authorities yes it said so this started at roughly it probably started right around between 8 and 8 30 p.m because the royal canadian mounted police would receive the report of the stabbing at 8 30 so they arrive on scene as quickly as possible and at this point when the RCMP arrives, that's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. So when the police arrive, Vince is still on the bus just mutilating Tim's body. Oh my gosh. So at this point, witnesses, the escape passengers, um, bus driver, a truck driver who was just passing and saw the commotion, they had made sure that Vince had not been able to leave the bus. And thankfully, the truck driver who had stopped because they saw the commotion, they had been able to produce a crowbar and a hammer as weapons for the people that were helping to detain Vince Lee. Vince had attempted to just drive the bus away as well, but the bus driver was able to engage what they called an emergency immobilizer system that the bus was equipped with. So this just made the bus completely inoperable. Like it wasn't moving anywhere. 
Oh, I didn't know that they had things like that, but that's uh, useful, I feel. Right? (laughs) So I thought that was useful, but I don't know. Like, I didn't know about it either. So now any passengers that were not helping keep Vince Lee detained, they were found huddled on the roadside, many of them crying, some vomiting, all of them just in shock. I'm sure. Yeah. They had all just seen Vince Lee brutally murdered and decapitate. I'm sorry. They had all just seen Vince Lee brutally murder and decapitate Tim McLean and then display his head to them. Out of nowhere, too. Like, and and I don't mean to say, you know, like most of the time these things happen out of nowhere, but you're on a bus just traveling to your destination. This is like one of the last places I would expect something like this to happen. Right. So many of the witnesses, I mean, they watched him continue to attack Tim McLean's corpse and consume parts of him. I mean, this was so bad. Vince Lee, he would begin to tear out Tim's organs, his lungs, his liver, his intestines, his heart. And he was displaying them or stringing them throughout the bus. Um, are you talking like hanging them up? That wasn't clear. On if he was like holding, it sounds like he would hold it up, kind of taunt the witnesses by displaying parts of Tim and or by licking blood off of his hands. Okay. Okay. Yeah. By 9 p.m., police, they're already in a standoff, right? They're already there. They're in the standoff with Vince Lee. They bring in special negotiators and a tactical unit that was very heavily armed because they know he's armed and dangerous at this point. And unpredictable. Right. And so police are just waiting. Like, they don't know what else to do. They can't get on the bus without someone getting injured. They don't want to kill Vince Lee because then there's no answers for Tim McLean's family. And so they're kind of in a hard spot. So while they're waiting, just these witnesses, they had just, I mean, seen this man brutally murder Tim McLean. And they, I mean, even while police are there, they're watching him continue to eat parts of Tim McLean. They're watching him pace up and down the bus. The report said he continuously defiled Tim's corpse. Oh, my. While police waited, they decided they would begin to transport the witnesses from the scene. Obviously, that was a safety thing as well. And they take them in, of course, to be interviewed. And witnesses would tell police that Vince Lee seemed very oblivious to other, especially when the attack began. So the attack began and people might have kind of squeezed past him or started sprinting out, but he didn't pay them any attention. He only paid attention to to Tim McLean. So he was pretty focused? I guess so. But they also noted that Vince Lee had a very calm demeanor. He wasn't like in a rage when he got on the bus. He was completely calm and fine. And while the attack was going on, they said that he didn't really seem to be raging during that either. The quote is, there was no rage or anything. He was like a robot stabbing the guy. I feel like that's even more terrifying. Yeah. Now, during the interviews, the witnesses would tell police they heard Vince Lee state, I have to stay on the bus forever or things similar to that in nature. And for these witnesses, at 10 a.m. the following day, a Greyhound representative would arrive to help the passengers. They would take them to a local store to replace their clothing because everything on the bus is now evidence. And since, I mean, they had nothing, they would take them to the store, get them what they needed, and Greyhound would then get them to Winnipeg where they would all be reunited with family and friends around 3 p.m. 
or 3.30 p.m. that following day, there were 30 plus passengers that were witnesses of this. And Tim's family did not find out until the following day. They knew of the event. They did not know who the victim was. Oh, my gosh. That's. Yeah. Do we know how they found out? I believe when they were there to see if it was their family or collect their family, that's how they found out because Tim was not on the bus. Oh, no. So that's for the passengers. Now, Vince Lee, we're going back to the night that this is all happening. He could just continues to hold up this bus for hours. This entire time in front of police, he's mutilating Tim's body, just going crazy, eating parts of him. After about five and a half hours on July 31st at 1.30 a.m., Vince Lee, he would attempt to escape from the bus. He would break through a window and begin to run. However, this he was quickly arrested because when he hit the floor, he was shot with a taser twice. So did not take long for police to get him as soon as he was out of the bus. Well, that's good. He would be placed in a police vehicle. Police would start collecting their evidence. On the bus, they would find various parts of Tim McLean's body. On Vince Lee's body, they would find one of Tim's ears, his nose, and his tongue that Vince had in his pockets. Oh, okay. Some claim that he had these in a Ziploc bag that he had brought onto the bus with him. So that's not clear if they were. Some reports don't even mention it, but they did find these items on his person. Some parts of Tim were actually never recovered, specifically his eyes and a third of his heart. A a third of his heart. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And we don't know where. Well. Oh, no. Do we have an idea? Vince Lee, he absolutely denies this, but ultimately it's believed that these parts that were never found were consumed by by Vince Lee. I was afraid that's that's what you were going to say. Police basically say, if they were not consumed by him, we would have found those parts. There is no other explanation for where those are or were. Now, police have him in custody. They begin all of their stuff. I do want to just do a quick call out. Remember that laptop that Vince Lee sold for 60 bucks to the 15-year-old? Yeah. That young man actually came forward, the one that bought the laptop, and it is, res- it is seized by the police. So he just spent $60 on this new laptop, handed it over to police. I feel like that's a good kid. Yes. And don't worry, he does end up actually still getting a new laptop because an anonymous businessman would donate a laptop to the boy for his honesty. Oh. So like, I wanted to throw out there at least something somewhat okay came out of this. But I also couldn't find that they found anything crazy on the laptop, but I wanted to throw it in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good on the little boy. Well, yeah. I guess not little boy. Good on the teenager. 15, Good on the young right? man. He could have kept it quiet and he didn't. Yeah. Now, of course, pretty quickly, Vince Lee, he's examined by a psychiatrist. And he would be officially diagnosed with schizophrenia. Stanley Yaren, he would begin care. From how I understood Stanley's role, he was the court-appointed psychiatrist. But he does begin some care for Vince Lee at that time. And trial would begin on March 3rd, 2009. Now, when Lee appeared in Portage, it's not clear if this was before trial or during trial. But when he appeared in the courthouse on the charges of second-degree murder, the only words that Lee reportedly spoke were, please kill me. Okay. So during trial, Vince Lee, he would plead not criminally responsible on account of mental disorder. 
So basically, he accepts that the offenses occurred, but Vince was saying that he was unable to form the necessary mental element or mens rea. And mens rea is basically that necessary mental state to be rational. And so he's saying, I accept that these happened and I did them, but I was not able to actually have that mental capacity to prevent them. Okay. And that's called mens rea? Mens rea is the mental element. Gotcha. Okay. So basically, in other words, Vince Lee's schizophrenia made him inculpable. His trial would last only two days. The judge would only hear from two witnesses, neither of which were witnesses from the bus. They were both psychiatrists who would testify to Lee being mentally ill. Would you like to know why Lee attacked Tim McLean? I would really love to. Now, keep in mind, this is in Vince Lee's mind, right? This is not reality of any sort. This is Vince Lee's mind. To Vince Lee, Tim was what he called a force of evil. As far as Vince Lee was concerned, in that moment, Tim was a demon in disguise and an alien who needed to be destroyed. So he was a a demon and an alien. Yes. Okay. So Vince Lee, he believed that in that moment, Tim McLean was an imminent threat to himself and others. Because remember, Vince believes that he is like the second coming and he's going to save all these people from an alien invasion. So he, he believes that Tim is an alien and that is dangerous. So for Vince in that moment, he believed he needed to destroy Tim. And this was so intense for him that he felt that it was necessary to mutilate Tim McLean's body as well so that Tim could not come back to life. So did he give an excuse as to why he ate him? No. Gotcha. Now, not only did he believe that Tim was dangerous, but Lee also had that voice in his head still, those voices that he believed were God, and they were telling him to kill Tim McLean or else he would be killed himself. So in his psychotic state, he believed he was he was in a self-defense mode. Okay. So Stanley Yaren's assessment of Lee being inculpable was legally accepted. And the defense and the prosecution would be in agreement and would speak in favor of involuntary commitment to a mental institution rather than prison time. Sounds fair. So Judge John Scurfield would accept the diagnosis and he would ultimately rule that Lee was not criminally responsible for the murder of Tim McLean. I see where it comes from, but the wording just sounds rough. Like from his family's point of view. I'm sure that's really difficult to hear. Tim's mother, Carol, would actually react to this, stating, quote, a crime was still committed here. A murder still occurred. There was nobody else on that bus holding a knife, slicing up my child. Damn, it's, um, yeah. Yep. Now, before I get into Vince Lee's treatments and details surrounding what we know of him now, I want to talk about some of the other lawsuits or aftermath of the case. First off, Greyhound Canada, they actually end up pulling a series of nationwide advertisements. These slogans had included, there's a reason you're nev- you've never heard of bus rage. And so they pull those. And those were before this happened, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. So they pull those Ooh. after it happened. Yes. Okay. According to Tim McLean's family, Greyhound has never shown condolences for what happened to Tim McLean, at least for towards them. So there's also that. Uh, Greyhound, I'm sorry, people would also demand that Greyhound provide increased security on intercity buses, 
something that is very much not clear if that ever happened, but it was petitions, demands, everything. They wanted that to happen. Tim McLean's family would bring a lawsuit of $150,000 against Greyhound, the Attorney General of Canada, and Vince Lee. From what I could find at the time, I should have looked at the date of the article. The article that I was reading, they were still in negotiations. So they might have come to a compromise and there might have been a deal struck on that one, but it's not a published outcome. Or they might still be going through those proceedings. Um, This one kind of angers me, mostly because I look at what Tim McLean's family is going through. They brought this lawsuit of $150,000 against Greyhound, uh, the Attorney General, and Vince Lee. But then this one in February of 2012, two different passengers that witnessed the attack and beheading would also file a lawsuit. Deborah Tucker and Kaylee Shaw would file a suit against Lee Greyhound, the RCMP, which is the police, and the Canadian government. In their suit, they were they were suing them for being exposed to the beheading, and they were each seeking $3 million in damages. Oh, okay. I, that kind of sat wrong with me because, first of all, they yes, what they witnessed was absolutely awful, and I'm not arguing that. But $3 million because they were exposed to a beheading that none of these, the only person that could control it was Lee, right? Yeah. Greyhound, police, and the Canadian government couldn't do anything to stop that from happening. Yeah, I was going to say, even the police, like, what, what could they have, what, what is the protocol there? Like... You know what I mean? Like he's on a he's on a bus and you're trying to limit everybody being injured. So that I that one just kind of sat wrong with me. It very much not that these people didn't go through something very dramatic, but it very much felt like they were like, oh, we have a chance at getting a significant amount of money. Mm-hmm. They didn't get anything because they do drop the lawsuit in July of 2015. And this was after Greyhound would show that they couldn't be sued under Manitoba's system um, because they had no fault vehicle insurance. So, so that's good. At least so they were they were covered. Yeah. In July 2014, one of the responding officers would ultimately commit suicide. This was Corporal oh. Ken Barker. His family shared in his obituary that he had severe PTSD from the case. So sure. <laughs> Certainly affecting the lives of the witnesses, the police, everyone involved. Yeah. Now, Vince Lee, he would be remanded to Selkirk Mental Health Center to begin the necessary treatments. Vince's treatments would progress with a lot of what they called positive improvements. Now, keep in mind, this happened in 2008. Um, He would be remanded to the mental facility in 2009. In June 2010, Lee would be granted outdoor walks within the mental health facility. So originally when he was there, he was in a very secure area. He wasn't even allowed to go outside. But 2010, they say, okay, within the mental facility, yes, you can go ahead and start this walk. And this was voted by the uh, Provincial Review Board, and they voted yes for this. But this is also after two years of treatment, and I'm assuming medication and... This is likely only about a year after treatment, because trial was in 2009. Oh. So. Okay, that feels a little soon, given what he did. Well, we're going to keep talking about it. In May 2011, CBC would report that Vince Lee was responding well to his treatment. 
With that being said, his dolls, his doctor has had also recommended additional freedoms that they would begin being phased in for Vince Lee. So they weren't going to be like, here's all these freedoms. Let's start phasing them in. In May 2011, CBC would report that Vince Lee was responding well again. And. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the same line. In May 2012, the National Post would report that Lee had been granted temporary passes. These would allow him to leave Selkirk Mental Health Center and visit the town of Selkirk. They were limited, and these passes required that Vince Lee be accompanied and supervised by a nurse and a peace officer. They started with 30-minute increments and would then grow to full-day passes. But again, he's being accompanied and supervised by a nurse and a peace officer. A peace officer, is that a like a police officer? Is that like a security guard? Do we know if there's a, I think a it's difference? A, I don't know if there's a difference. Peace, let's look. Peace officer versus police officer. So a peace officer is someone who can be a member of the police force, while a p- police officer is someone who is always a member of the police force. Uh, that doesn't feel like enough to me. Honestly, you could tell me it was a police officer and a nurse, and that would not feel like enough. I'm just telling you that's what they did. But that is, that is my unprofessional opinion, so. Right. Now, around the same time, Vince Lee would speak publicly publicly for the first time as well. He would share that his condition was slowly improving. He was being prescribed olanzapine. Olanzapine, yeah. He would tell people that he was learning about schizophrenia and the ways to cope in a healthy manner. And he would speak of his guilt in the murder of Tim McLean. And he would state that, quote, he can never forget the Greyhound bus. Yeah, a lot of people can't. Sorry, I'm being petty. No, I mean, it's true, though. He would also share that he does not believe he can ever be happy again. Uh, he also shared that he has a desire to be given forgiven by Tim McLean's family, but does not expect that to happen. Some of his statements were, um, I would do anything for their forgiveness, things of that nature. But, I mean, I, Tim McLean's family probably doesn't give a shit. Yeah, and really, I, I kind of I can't blame him. Um, because, correct me if I'm wrong, he, he knew he needed help, right? Not necessarily. So, like the in 2004, 2005, when he first supposedly got that schizophrenic um, diagnosis, the official reports and documents don't even show that. So, it's possible that maybe they had told him, hey, we think there might be something up. And the newspaper ran with what they knew about him. And just said, yes, he's been diagnosed with schizophrenia. But okay. it, it's not clear if that was actually what happened. Okay, okay. I guess I'll give him a minuscule bit of slack. Mm-hmm. Tiny bit. And this is a quote from Vince Lee. And this is when he was asked like, if he had any parting words, he would basically do an apology to Tim McLean's family. But specifically, he would address Tim McLean's mother. And this is the quote. I would like to say to Tim McLean's mother, I am sorry for killing your son. I am sorry for the pain I have caused. I wish I can reduce that pain. So, like I said, he knew that they would most likely never forgive him. Uh, Doctors do believe he truly feels remorseful and guilt for what happened. But, I mean, we're going to keep talking. What do you think? I mean, it's, it's, it's good that he feels guilt and remorse. But if it were me um, and someone took my child away, 
I don't think I'm big enough of a person to ever forgive them, ever. Whether it's for my own good, their own good, I don't think I could ever bring myself to get over that. No, I, no, absolutely not. In 2013, Vince Lee's, his supervised trips would expand to visits to Lockport, Winnipeg, and nearby beaches, still supervised. In February 2014, CBC would report that in March, so the following month, Vince Lee would begin to be allowed to have unsupervised visits in the town of Selkirk. Absolutely not. No. Uh-uh. I went from being like, mm, I don't know about this, to just being like, no. No, yeah, uh-uh. I don't think he should ever be unsupervised, point blank, period. Well, this would start with 30-minute passes, so that's how he would begin, and then, again, those would expand to full-day trips. In February 2015, CBC would again report that he was getting unsupervised day passes to Winnipeg, which were approved for Vince Lee. And people are just like, okay, with it. like, that's one thing. And maybe I don't understand. Um, okay. If you are a sexual predator or something, you know, and you move to a neighborhood, that's known. They, at least here in the U.S., they, you're on a website. Like, I can pull up the sexual offenders or sex offenders around me or anywhere at any point in time. Uh, I think they send out letters. I've gotten one where I have lived before. That somebody, a sexual offender moved, I keep saying that, a sex offender moved within like a certain range of us. We got a letter in the mail. So if something like this happens from a, a mental institution or a, a mental hospital, is that known? Do they, do they tell the people of this city like, hey, by the way, uh, this guy brutally murdered someone and traumatized a whole bunch of people. but but we think it's safe to let him just hang out in your town for 12 hours or so. It's, I didn't see anything saying they notified. So the articles that I found were there was a little bit of a fight to release some of the information about Vince Lee originally to McLean's family was like, no, we need to know what's going on. So basically it was, we'll, we'll share some of the actions or freedoms he's getting, but we're not going to share any of the medical side, which, okay, that's, that, that sounds fair. And so people knew, so you have like CBC reporting this information or other news, news stations reporting this information. And I'm sure it was more than CBC. So people knew that he was getting these freedoms and he was being allowed out in these places. They didn't necessarily know when. Okay. I I feel like that would not fly (laughs) over very well, like a lead balloon. No. And with these day passes to Winnipeg, he had a condition that he had to carry a fully functioning cell phone with him at all times, which he did. For for what reason? Um, tracking as well as if he needed something uh, emergent, they could call him. I mean, this is t- 2015. Okay. Okay. The tracking makes sense. Mm-hmm. In May 2015, CBC would then report that Lee had been granted passes to a group home in the community. So he would then naturally begin living in a group home. Uh-huh. In February 2016, Vince Lee would reportedly legally change his name to Will Lee Baker. He was also seeking to leave his group home and begin living independently. And that is a right he would win February 26, 2016. And this was on the recommendation of the Criminal Code Review Board. 
Officially on February 10th, 2017, the Manitoba Criminal Code Review Board would order that Lee be discharged. He was given an absolute discharge. Uh, he will not face any legal obligations or restrictions for his independent living. So he is not on parole. He has no conditions he needs to meet. He, they basically deemed he did not pose a serious threat. He is free. He is managing his own medications. And they do believe he has a very low chance of relapsing. Chris Somerville, the executive director of the Manitoba Schizophrenia Society, he had actually worked with Lee over several years. He would state, quote, he is no longer a violent person. I will say yes, he absolutely understands that he has to take his medication and has a desire to live a responsible moral life and never succumb to psych psychotic episodes and not to hurt anybody ever again. Uh, um, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. I feel like that is really unfair, um, to the family that he was in custody, what, mm, not even 10 years, seven, nine years, nine years, something like that. Yep. Yeah, that, that doesn't feel right. And for what, eight of those nine years, he, he had a free, he started getting freedoms. Let me say that. Uh-huh. Uh, it just feels like if he's, if he's better, these, these cases are so freaking hard because if he is better and he is handling his mental state in a healthy way, that's good. But also I still feel like you did something horrendous and it's not fair to that family. Okay, well, do you want to hear about Tim McLean's families? I would. Yes, please. Now, this decision to release Vince Lee, um, Tim McLean's family wholeheartedly disagreed with it, and they did attempt to fight it in any way they could. In fact, Tim's family actually never had any say in any part of this, in the sentencing from the get-go back in 2009, and they did struggle with this because for them, they were like, okay, well... At least when he was sentenced in 2009, we believed he would be in a mental institute his entire life. Right. And now he's been released. For the family, they just feel like there has been no justice for Tim McLean. Uh, Carol, Tim's mother, she believes that Lee should be treated like a criminal and not as a patient. She is quoted saying, I'm grateful that Tim Timothy's death has shed light on the issue. I'm thankful for all the messages of love and support. I pray everyone now takes a step further. Contact your local elected officials she also stated lee still did it whether he was in his right frame of mind or not he still did the act there was nobody else on the bus holding a knife slicing up my child so she definitely not doing great and one last quote from her i need for vince lee and people like him to remain in a locked facility where they can make sure that they get their medications where they're being treated for their illness they're treated with compassion but the rest of the public is kept safe that's what I need to move forward. Carry on. I'll never get my son back regardless of what I do or what I've done already. Yeah. I I complete I feel like I would I know I feel like I would express the same sentiments that she does. Mhm. Mm so, family, they very much uh fight against this. They're trying to make changes in legislation and laws, and make sure that everything is better going forward. Uh, I could not find progress or any specific laws that are cited that are in review or have been created for this. Months after Tim's death, 
His son was actually born in December 2008. His son is living with his grandmother, Carol, since 2015, and the grandparents have full custody as of 2016, according to reports. Now, it's unclear why Tim's son did not stay with his mother, but regardless, Tim's so the son didn't stay with his mother or Tim's girlfriend. But regardless, Tim's mother states that her grandson is a light in their life. He has many qualities of Tim's, including his sense of humor. Many of the passengers and witnesses still struggle with PTSD from the events of the bus. You'll hear many state that this case was one where everyone involved was provided therapy. However, I could not corroborate this and believe it may be that everyone witnesses police, they needed therapy. Whether they got it or not is not clear. That sounds... Yeah. To honor Tim McLean's memory, a white cross bearing his name has been placed along the road in Portage La Prairie, where the events happened. Below his name, etched into the chipped white paint, is a heartfelt message from his father that states, I think of you always, son. Love, Dad. Uh, and I that s- is the the murder of Timothy McLean. I don't like it. I didn't say I liked it either. I didn't say my TikTok algorithm was fixed. I said it's different. It just didn't involve children. Uh, I mean, it still kind of did. This poor boy doesn't have a dad. Um, I will say some reports stated that now that the boy is older, I mean, what? how old would he be? He was born in 2008. He's at least 10, 15-ish. Mm-hmm. Right around there. Um, as he started learning about what happened to his dad, his grandparents did get him into therapy. Um from what I understood in articles, when he was nine is when he about started figuring out things. But ultimately, his grandparents are trying their best to take care of him, provide him the therapy, and only give him the details that he needs. And as he finds more details, they are making sure he has therapy for that. So it sounds like they're 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 not hiding it from him, which is good. But they're also not like... Telling yeah, his organs were cut out. Yeah, yeah. That how brutal it was, and I, I can't imagine how to navigate through that. That would be awful. I did include pictures. One picture is of Vince Lee. I should probably add more so that he doesn't get a slide all to himself and doesn't have to share a collage with Tim McLean. But I added plenty of pictures of Tim McLean, and he just looked so. He looks very confused. Warm. Oh, um, you're yeah, yeah, he looks like Tim. a very warm person. He was described as a very warm person. Vince, at least in this photo, he looks angry. Very. I'm just here. I don't know. I I struggle because I get the family's perspective. And he did get out really fast. Yeah, he got so, out really fast. Like, he was out of that hospital in under 10 years. So, I guess I struggle with that. But, um, yeah. I, I understand the family's perspective. I get that healthcare professionals don't believe he's a danger. However, with his past, I, if he even misses a day, what's that going to do to him? Yeah, that's that's why I'm like, people that are are on this level, I guess, of brutality, that's what worries me the most. Mm-hmm. And it was so out of the blue, you know? Like, it wasn't like, he knew Tim McLean. and they were complete strangers. I'm going to add another picture of Vince because he looks stupid in the picture. Oh, those are my favorite pictures of the bad guys. Okay, there you go. 
It's even renamed and everything. Let me see if I can find any others where he looks stupid. <laughs> oh, and I didn't mention that um, Tim McLean's dad actually got a picture of Tim on his chest, just where his heart is, and it's a portrait of Tim. Oh, oh my heart. Yeah. Uh, well, do you want me to change the subject? Yeah, that'd be really great. Okay. Um, so this story I just picked off of the drive. Uh, it was unclaimed. So I hope so. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised. I enjoyed it. It's a little on the shorter side, but I'm, I'm, it's, it's interesting. Let's, I'm just going to talk about it. Okay. In April, uh, specifically April 21st, 1977, in Dover, Massachusetts, at around 10.30 p.m., 17-year-old William Bill Bartlett was driving down Farm Street with his friends Mike Mazzacco and Andy Brody. And Bill saw what he first thought was like a dog or a cat until his headlights illuminated the figure, which he later described as three to four, three and a half to four foot tall. It had two large, round, glassy eyes with no eyelids. And the eyes shined like two orange marbles. It Absolutely had a, not. It had a watermelon-shaped head which sat on a thin neck and it said that its head was the size of the rest of his body. Absolutely not. How do you even lift that pumpkin head? That's what I'm saying. It had long spindly arms and legs, large hands and feet and exaggerated peach colored skin now, he said that it was like Fred Flintstone in the Sunday comments. So not like a, not like a healthy sun-kissed human, but like a, like a cartoon character. Uh, he said it had no hair. <laughs> and my least favorite quote, I think, in this whole thing is that he said it looked like the texture of the skin looked like wet sandpaper. Gross. It, absolutely disgusting. Awful. This creature was walking on all fours along the top of a stone wall. And he said that his fingers were so long, they were like curving or curling around the, ro the rocks as it walked. Mm -mm. <laughs> Bill claimed to have seen this creature for a few seconds as he drove past it. And when he turned around, it was gone. The exact same night, at about 12 a.m., 15-year-old John Baxter, he reported seeing this creature on Miller's High Road. Baxter was leaving his girlfriend's house when he saw a small figure approaching him. And he said, at first, he thought it was an acquaintance of him. So he called out, MG, is that you? And he got no response. They continued walking towards each other until they were about 25 feet apart and they both stopped. And John asked, who is that? And he said he couldn't tell what it was in the dark, but he knew it wasn't human or animal. He said it was something in between. That's awful. 
Horrible. Absolutely. No. <laughs> Mm-mm. John took You're not going to catch forward. me walking towards anything that doesn't respond to me. Oh. So you, look, you might not catch me walking towards anything that does respond to me because now it can be a puckwudgie. You know what? You might not see me at all. I'm a hermit in my house. You know what? No, I, I like the way that sounds. I'm a homebody. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. stay home. If you I'm not going see outside. me out, it's on accident. Like, I need groceries or something. We're probably out of ice cream. Or it's not me. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So, watch out. John took another step toward the creature. And that's when it just suddenly scurried to the left and down into a wooded gully. And it stopped on the other side of this gully. John, if is, having... If there is something scurrying in my vicinity, I'm gone. I very specifically left that word in there. That's the word that was used in... Mm -hmm. I think I got this out of a book, but yeah, that's the word that was used and I kept it because ugh. my dogs don't even scurry. No, if it's scurrying, it is not human. It don't. Well, no. I mean, my dogs also aren't human, but they don't scurry. That's my point. Ugh. Ugh. I'm out of there. You see it scurrying. Mm -hmm. Bye. Yeah. I I don't care if I'm going home. I'm going I'm going back to my girlfriend's house. I'm going literally anywhere else. I'm not going in this direction. I am done. No. Calling police. Calling. I'm pulling up one of those um, TikTok videos that are like, if you're walking alone, turn this up to full volume and follow the script on screen. Yes. I'm out. Yep. Yeah. Uh, John, he has way more cojones than you or me because he follows it. Man, mm -mm. mm -hmm. I ain't following anything scurrying. No, he goes down the slope and across the gully. He claimed to have gotten his first good look at this strange being. He said it stood with its feet molded around the top of a rock and it was leaning on a tree with its long fingers entwined around the eight inch in diameter trunk. No, no. It had a figure eight shaped head, two dark but glowing eyes. Wait, like a figure eight, like, woo. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like the outline, like it, it doesn't have holes, like you can't see through it, but. Well, that'd be more terrifying if math is coming at me. Uh, that's unpredictable. I don't want math equations as a demon. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is very true. Uh, I feel you on that. <laughs> it had um, two dark glowing eyes and a body like a monkey. That just seems kind of rude. Uh, the eyes are the monkey. Monkey. Oh, okay. John said that they stood staring at each other for a few minutes when John became uneasy. To which I it, say, yeah. It took a couple minutes to feel uneasy. That's what I'm saying. I would have been done felt uneasy. This 15-year-old has bigger balls than I could ever have in my life. I don't know if he's got bigger balls or if he's just really stupid. I think it's the balls. Because at this no. point, he got the hell out of there. It took him a couple minutes. He followed it. Yeah, he did. He did follow it. I don't think I wrote it down, but he said at this point they were maybe like 30 feet from each other. So he yeah, got you pretty don't, close. 
he doesn't know how fast that thing is. Nope. And that's and why you're... he said he left because he wasn't really sure what it was, what it was going to do, or what it was capable of. That's the teenage stupidity. They're like, yeah, let's follow this thing. I don't know what it is or capable of. But then I get mm-hmm. 30 feet from it. And now it's going to kick in that, yeah. hey, this might not be safe. Teenagers, um, if you're listening, first of all, why are you listening? You should probably have parental consent to listen because we say bad words sometimes. Um, but if you're sometimes. listening, most of the time, if you're listening, you're not bulletproof. Okay. You can very easily be Dover Demon food, which I don't think I've said it yet. That's what we're talking about. It's Dover Demon. I think oh, I suck. It. Okay. At okay, the very good. beginning. Or at least you said Dover and I assumed it was the Dover Demon. Okay. Yeah. I'm like two pages into my notes and I'm pretty sure that's the first time. Hi, this is the Dover Demon. Um, <laughs> if you couldn't figure that out when I said Dover, Massachusetts, what are you even doing here? Yeah. I heard Dover and was like, oh, it's the Dover Demon. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, John got the hell out of there. Um, he s- continued down the road towards Farm Street, where a couple eventually passed him in a car, and they picked him up and took him home. And this couple said that he was visibly shaken. Yeah. I would be Now? Too. Yeah. The next night, April 22nd, 15-year-old Abby Brabham, I think that's how you say it. That's what I'm going to go with. Abby was being driven home by 18-year-old Will Tainter. And it was around midnight on Springdale Avenue. Abby claimed to have seen something in the headlights on the left-hand side of the road. She said it was crouched on all fours, which I just immediately hate. Anything on all fours that is not meant to be on all fours. What are you doing? It can't be good. And I mean, they can probably scurry, and I don't want anything to scurry. Yuck. So it was crouched on all fours, facing the car. She also said its body was thin and monkey-like. And it was either tan or beige, with no hair. Its head was big and oblong. It had no nose, ears, or mouth. The area around its eyes were lighter in color than the rest of its body. And she said its eyes glowed green. Green means go, so go get the hell out of there. <laughs> yes, I like that. So, Even when Abby was later told that Bill said its eyes were orange, she was quoted saying, they were green, I don't care what the boys said. The boys are idiots, they don't know yeah. colors. They don't know colors, that thing was green. It's like me trying to explain chartreuse to any other man. It's not pink. Jesus Christ, okay? Isn't chartreuse green? Yeah, chartreuse is green. Okay. Maybe that's what it was. was I bet his eyes were chartreuse. I'm just going to say that's the issue. Y'all are just colorblind. (laughs) I wonder if it had something to do with the headlights of the car. Because you know how, like, you when you pass oh, by an yeah. animal at night, they, the they eyes don't, go crazy? Their eyes don't emit color like that. But. No. You have something scurrying behind you. That's a child. Um, also, be very wary of them. Okay, good to know. <laughs> now, when asked, Will said he had only seen the figure for a short moment. 
and he asked Abby what she saw. So his description can be a little tainted, but he claimed to have seen something with a large head, tan body, and its front legs were in the air. I don't know what that means. It wasn't clear. I imagine it's like whinnying like a horse, which is even worse in my head. Or maybe it's just standing up. Or maybe it has like little T-Rex arms that don't quite reach the ground. Yeah, like that? Yeah, they just kind of hang. Well, good thing it doesn't have a mouth because it ain't brushing his teeth with hands like that. Uh, not a mouth that we're aware of, at least. Yes. He said he didn't know what it was, only that it wasn't a dog. Now, that night, all three teens drew sketches of what they saw. And Bill wrote on his sketch, I, Bill Barlett, swear on a stack of Bibles that I saw this creature. And that feels powerful to me because it's not just one Bible. It's a stack of them. Is his the first one? His is the first one, yeah. I guess if I look, it says Bill's sketch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great picture, but it's, I it's see off it. to the right. Like he signed his name under it. Yeah, I see it. I, Bill Bartlett. It's kind of off to the side underneath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Okay. According to an article in the Boston Globe, the locations of the sightings when plotted on a map, they lay in a straight line for over two miles. So it's very possible that this demon was kind of just hoofing it. <laughs> I didn't mean that, but he was. He also heard someone tell him to travel the country on foot. He should also not have listened. Yeah. Like, this is, this is, if anyone tells you to travel the country on foot, it's a trap. Okay. Just don't, don't do it. Also, if you see something in the dark, human, not human, I don't care what it is, don't follow it. Don't follow it. What are y'all doing? Don't don't even slow down. You just keep driving. You didn't see anything. You saw something? No, you didn't. Yes. And if you look in the rearview mirror and it's still there, that's when you floor it. Green mean go means go, guys. Green if means it has go. green eyes, you floor it, you leave. If it's got red eyes, you also floor it, you leave. Okay. Orange is the same as yellow on the no, yeah. Orange is the same as yellow on the traffic. Lights, floor it. Yeah. So let's put it this way. Green means go, go faster, get away. Red, now this only goes to if there is something with eyes, these colors looking at you. Red means stop wasting time, get out of there. Yes. Orange means, I don't know what orange means. Orange means floor it. Orange is, yeah, floor it to get through. Yes. Yeah. So And green means, like, why are you still here? Why are you even hitting the brakes? Well, we already did green, you know. Oh. Green means go. Okay. I'm still. I, I'm just. Uh, get out of there. Point blank period. That's the end. Get out of there. Uh, p- oh, police at the time. Because they're, they're taking these reports. They told the media that the sightings were probably nothing more than a school vacation hoax. A school vacation hoax. Mm-hmm. Which I have to admit, it did kind of come to my mind simply because all of the kids were around the same age group but were they was it i guess it was no well i'm confused on the vacation part 
Were they out of school? It was summer, so I or no, it, it wasn't that was a lot. It was spring, so I assume they maybe could have been on spring break. Oh, okay. I don't know. I wasn't here in the seventies. I don't feel like spring break is normally in April. My kid's not in school, so I don't know when spring break was. I feel like spring break is normally March because then they are out of school in June ish. That is true. So I don't know. Maybe they were. Maybe there was a teacher work day and they had a three day weekend. Okay, well, whatever. I'm uh, now. I'm more focused on how the hell. What holiday <laughs> did they have? What vacation? Well, it was the seventies. Maybe they had to help their parents on the farms. I don't know. No, they they were obviously not in school. They were all out between ten and twelve at night. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, my parents wouldn't allow me to do that. Not on a school night. Hell no. Not on a weekend night. Oh, I had a curfew of midnight. Oh, I did not. I was still 19 paying for my own car. And my parents were like, well, you have to be home at this time. And I was like, that's, I'm sorry to be disrespectful. That's not happening. I guess my parents were like, whatever, get the hell out of my house. <laughs> Other skeptics claimed that these sightings could be a foal. A moose calf. You know what the third one is, Bryce. An owl. A snowy owl specifically, yes. They what said the that based on its size and plumage, um, the eyes, they say, would have reflected yellow in the car's older headlights, I guess being like scratched up and stuff. And the long spindly fingers and arms. Could have been explained by partially opened wings. This is, okay, first of all, <laughs> I know everyone knows I hate birds. I like <laughs> owls. Owls are acceptable. They're not actually birds, right? Apparently not. They're every cryptid ever. Maybe that's why I like them. They're literally <laughs> every cryptid ever. See an alien? It was just an owl. Don't worry, guys. It's fine. But this thing looks nothing. It doesn't even have feathers. Like, owls, very, they're typically a little more poofy when you look at them because you can see freaking feathers. Mm -hmm. How is this an owl? Uh, it doesn't even have hair. Yeah, I was looking at the orange one, uh, and it says it's a shark-skinned creature. Mm -hmm. There's no feathers on this, my friends. No. Like, I'm... It's not an owl. Quit blaming the owls. Leave owls alone. Owls are for everyone. Owl yeah. lives matter. Yeah. And I've literally pulled up pictures of owls. Snowy owl. Dover demon. I fucking want to see how they can justify this. No. I absolutely. I'm so uncomfortable. And I'm so glad you didn't put that picture of the Dover demon in. Which one? Did I miss a good one? I don't know. It says a Dover de uh, the Dover Demon and Unsolved Mystery. Hold on. I'll put it in for you. Don't worry. Now I'm excited to see it. <laughs> this is what happens when Ooh, I start Googling. What is that? <laughs> uh, the, the Dover Demon and Unsolved Mystery. That just looks like an alien. It looks like an alien posing. Yeah, it does. And not posing in a good way. It kind of looks like a seductive alien. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in an article. 
Oh, you know why? It's because it's an article about the Dover demon, but they say, given the creature's resemblance to usual images of aliens, many have theorized about extraterrestrial involvement. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, I'm really uncomfortable with that picture. You can uh-huh. delete it. I'm just telling you that's what I found. Because I was trying to see how this could resemble an owl at all. And now I'm that picture went away. <laughs> Within a week of sightings, Lauren Coleman went to speak of the teens. Speak to the teens. Have you ever heard of him? No. I haven't either, and I I think I love him. Okay. So, Lauren Coleman, he studied anthropology and zoology at the Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. He studied psychiatric social work at Simmons College School of Social Work in Boston. And if that wasn't enough... He continued his studies in doctorate-level anthropology at Brandeis University and sociology at the University of New Hampshire. So Lauren Coleman, he has a master's degree in psychiatric social work. He was a consultant for the Maine Youth Suicide Program for almost 10 years. He wrote several manuals. He's estimated to have trained over 40,000 professionals and paraprofessionals within the state of Maine. This man knows some stuff. He's educated. Also, he's one of the world's leading cryptozoologists. He's an author on cryptozoology, unusual phenomena, and unexplainable human behaviors. Coleman has written over 300 articles, more than 40 books. He's done countless radio and TV programs and interviews and lectures. He's been a consultant on In Search of, Unsolved Mysteries, Ancient Histories, no, sorry, Ancient Mysteries, Histories Mysteries, and In the Unknown, just to name a few. These are just a few that sounded familiar to me. And he also opened the International Cryptozoology Museum in Portland, Maine. In 2003, which is where the orange one that you're so fond of, the shark skin, that's where that. I am pretty fond of the shark skin, honestly. That's where that little, I guess, reenactment, that's where that is. So sorry to go off on that little tangent there, but the more I read about him, the deeper my appreciation for this man got. Because not only, like, he cares about the youth uh, and he cares about cryptids. So I think I love him. He might be my hero. He might be who I aspire to be. You might have a book on your shelf uh, by, written by him, honestly. Because I know again? Lauren Coleman. It's L-O-R-E-N. I for sure do. That cryptozoology A to Z. Yeah. I had a feeling you had that one. Yeah, I do. That one, sure. I was going to say the name Lauren sounds very familiar. Lauren Coleman and Jerome Clark. Yep, he's written a lot. Um, I actually got a lot of information on this story from his book, Monsters of Massachusetts, Mysterious Creatures in the Bay State. It's free on Kindle Unlimited, so I'm not real sure why you're not downloading it right now. But Because I don't use Kindle Unlimited. I have to pay for Kindle Unlimited, and I don't. Oh, James pays for my Kindle Unlimited. <laughs> oh. Yeah, they used to pay, like, I got a new... Love the sash. Um, <laughs> Bryce's cat's doing the cat thing. I used to pay for Kindle, uh, and then I got a new 
debit card and forgot to change it. And they just started using James's card. And he's like, it's fine. Just, just leave it. And I'm like, okay. You're like, you don't have to tell me twice. Yeah, not going to tell me twice. Um, okay. So Coleman, he just so happens to be at this antique shop in Dover. And an employee working the counter was looking at a drawing and he asked her what it was. And it was Bill Bartlett's sketch of the Dover Demon. So she ended up giving him two sketches and Bill's contact info. Um, I think he said it was two days later. So on May 2nd, Coleman spoke with Bill. And Bill's description I had summarized from the book. I did get other sources, but most of the information in my story came from his book because, I mean, he was the first, if not only, person to investigate this directly. So why would I go with anyone else when I can just go to the source? Neither Mike nor Andy saw the Dover Demon that night with Bill. Mike claimed to be looking out his own window and Andy was sitting in the back seat talking to Mike. And since the sighting only lasted a few seconds, it was pretty much over before Bill could even speak about it. But both Mike and Andy told Coleman that they were skeptical at first, but Bill was so scared and he sounded genuinely frightened that after seeing the creature, Bill sped away, just like you're supposed to. Yep. And he had asked the other two boys if they had seen it too. They hadn't, and they eventually convinced him. They eventually convinced him to turn around and go back. But by the time they had got back, the creature was gone. While they were looking for it, Bill said that Mike was hanging out the window yelling, Come on, creature. Because teenage boys, I guess. Y'all need to stop provoking things. That's what Bill said. Bill was like, no, don't don't do that. So they did not end up seeing the creature again that night. They didn't end up seeing it again that night. Um, Bill dropped the boys off at their houses and then he went home. And his dad, pretty much as soon as he walked through the door, could tell something was wrong. So Bill told his dad the same story, referred it back to him. And then the guys had asked him when he got home to draw a picture of what he saw so he could show them. And that's what he did. After he told his dad the story, he immediately went and drew this sketch. Coleman spoke with John and Abby on May 3rd. And he learned that John had also drawn a sketch of this creature as soon as he got home that night. And at this time, neither John nor Bill knew that the other one had witnessed this creature. And Coleman says in his book that one of the remarkable coincidences of these two sightings in particular is how similar the drawings are, even though the creature is completely different stances in both of them. One of them, he's standing upright, and the other one, he is on all fours. And he also said that one of these sketches was in color while the other is in black and white. Which one's which is not clear. All the ones I have are black and white. And he also said that Bill didn't know John had seen the demon until five days later. So they weren't, like, comparing notes or anything that night. Me and you would be comparing notes so fucking fast. Absolutely. I would be like, James, hold on. I've got to text Bryce 
right now. And James is like, you should get in the car first. And I'm like, I can do both at the same time. You're like, hold on, you guide me to the car. I'm texting Bryce. Yes. And I would be like, oh my God, I saw it too. And we would just start, we would create this absolutely horrible monster from us just feeding off of one another. Yeah, pretty much. They would, the police would be like, okay, well, we're going to put you in separate rooms and we're going to be like, no, you don't have to do that. We've already compared notes. Yeah. They'd be like, why, why would you do that? Well, because that's what we do. Yeah. Why would we not? Hello. Hello. I need to know I'm not crazy. And then they'll be like, well, who saw what? We both saw the same thing. You don't get it. It'd be like a scripted description and they'd be like, you guys are idiots. Mm, We're just soulmates. Platonic soulmates. Yeah. Get it straight, police. Thank you. Losers. Don't get it. Jesus. (laughs) After talking with all of the teenagers involved, Coleman was convinced they were telling the truth. And based on his like psychiatric background this like this gives credit to them in my opinion i'm sure like of all of the sociology and psychiatric work he's done he kind of knows how to tell when someone's lying like that makes sense to me i don't know if i'm just making that up because i'm in love with him now james watch out Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I have been listening, but I got on Barnes & Noble looking up Lauren Coleman books. He's got Lake Monsters and Sea Serpents. He has a ton of really good books. Mothman? There are... Let's see. I want to know what the copycat effect is. Oh, the copycat effect, that actually involves... I looked that up. Um, It involves psychiatric. That's one of his psychiatric books. So there is a Lauren Coleman Presents series. That I took a screenshot of because I want to collect these. You can buy all of them off this website at the same time for a special offer of $499.99. I'm not going to do that, but it sounds like something I can collect over time. So I will send you the screenshot. But it's just a series of books that he debuted. Yeah, I'm in love with this guy now. Um, okay, okay, I'm sorry. I will not. I closed the page, so I didn't get you yeah. off track again. I followed him on Amazon already, so if he comes out with anything new, I know. I'll know. Well, James will know, and then he can tell me. Well, they have um, a The Dover Demon's name? It was actually coined by Lauren Coleman, as if we didn't love him enough. He's also good at coming up with names. <laughs> and even though this story hasn't been reported, or this story, even though this creature... A sighting has not been reported since those two days in the 1970s. It's still pretty well known, like it's pretty infamous in the cryptozoology and the cryptid atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And that's what I found really interesting about it is that it was just two days in April in 1977 and it hasn't been seen since, but it's it's pretty out there is acknowledged he exists don't he's know where he's there. at now he's hoofing it across the country i guess yes but that's the story of the dover demon okay well um i'm processing i do want to add the books that are on that lauren coleman presents i don't think he's written those i think he's written the introduction to them but the rest are the rest of it's written by other people. 
because all yes. of them are by someone else. I'm sorry. I don't, I, I may have worded that wrong. Uh, he was like, he was involved in I gotcha. them. I gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. And also the retail value is $668. Yes. So the $499.99 is really a steal. It's a steal. I'm not buying it, but no. I did but- I did see the unicorn one and I have that one pulled up. That is $40, $48 for a hardcover. See, they're kind of expensive, but at the same time, like anything he recommends, I feel like it's gonna be good. That's just because you're in love with him and we have to make sure that he's your hall pass, isn't he? He is now. (laughs) Can you just imagine what you could talk about with this man over coffee? Oh, we would be going for days. We'd be like, listen, teach us what you know. Absolutely for that. Not only on the crypto, cryptozoology stuff, not only on cryptids, but also because he does field work too. Like not just for the Dover demon. Um, for everything. He's been to Loch Ness. Like, he's been everywhere. He's done... Okay. You'll probably, if you ever present... Um, I'm being a little bitter here because I want to hear about it. But if you ever do Sasquatch, he has talked about Sasquatch. He's I done know. field work. I just added his book to my Barnes & Noble. <laughs> but let me just... Hold on. Uh, I don't know if you know... I assume you know what he looks like. But how did you not include this picture of him? Which one in particular? The one that I'm showing you. Oh, are you sharing your screen? I didn't yes. know. I just barely started. Isn't that the best picture? I Okay. I want that picture framed. So it's a picture of Lauren Coleman looking real snazzy, but he's got a Yeti, like, breathing into his ear. And he looks real smug about it, too. Mm-hmm. And I, I love it. <laughs> We can absolutely, yeah, put that in there too, please. Oh, okay. Let me, <laughs> let me just really add the pictures thing. for you. Let me do half of your job here. Hey, I've added five pictures and you have added two. So give me a um, tiny, minuscule bit of credit. Hold on. I also added my pictures, which were two, four, six pictures. I just meant, yeah, but that's your job. I know. I'm just saying you can't do yours. It is such a good picture. It is. He looks like he's just so nice too. Like Doesn't he's got he? that cheery smile. I want, I want to meet him and be like, and listen, he's wearing tell a me. tie with pandas on it. What is he in that picture? I didn't even I notice. To, yes, I had to zoom in because I thought it was ghosts. No, it's pandas and bamboo. Okay. Well, now we know it's he's he's awesome. He's who I strive to be when I'm old and gray. All I want in life is an autographed picture of this man. All I want in life is this picture autographed of this man. Unless another one that's even better comes about, but I just don't see another better picture coming yeah. about. Like, there's nothing to top that. No, I. this picture will be hanging in my house somewhere. It would be autographed. Maybe that's what we do is we write to him and be like, listen, we have a podcast. We talked about you. You're Amanda's hall pass. How it happened, we don't know. But can we get this autographed? <laughs> How it happened? The Dover Demon. We talked about the Dover Demon, okay? Yes. Now, can I please have this autographed? And then we talked about how Bryce has a book of yours already without knowing mm-hmm. who you were. She just trusted the cryptozoology A to Z. I thought you had that book, too. If That's the one I was thinking when I was like, I'm pretty sure you have a book of his. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yes, that's the one I have. So, 
Oh, but I also kind of love the Dover demon. Like he's just making his way downtown, walking, walking fast. fast. Faces pass, and he's homebound. And oh, I was gonna say, and my hall pass is Lauren. The Coleman. Dover. No, I was talking about the Dover demon. Okay. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not get confused here. But he was just minding his business. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to Hell on Heels podcast. To see pictures from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram, Hell on Heels podcast, X, formerly Twitter, Hell on Heels pod, or Facebook by searching Hell on Heels podcast. You can find us on Linktree by typing in Hell on Heels podcast. If you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support one step further where, so we can create more content for you, you can donate through Patreon where we're working to release specials or extended episodes. If you have your own true crime or paranormal story suggestions or just words of encouragement, please email us at helenhalespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to tell your friends to listen with you as well. Bye. Bye. <laughs>